Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. You know, I'll be the first to admit the aesthetics of a botanical-style aquarium are just fundamentally different than what we've come to expect from just about any other type of aquarium that we play with in the hobby. And this often comes up when it's time for us to share our work with others, doesn't it? Now, periodically here, we do photography on our tanks in the office, and I'm fortunate enough to have the incredibly talented Johnny Ciotti practice his craft and do some amazing photos that you've all come to hopefully enjoy when they come out. You know, typically a day or two before he comes, Johnny will give me a call and say stuff like, hey, remember to just, you know, clean the water line. And of course, that's where I start getting really stressed. Have you ever noticed that our botanical style aquariums with all their leaves and seed pods and stuff, when they break down, they seem to leave behind this sort of protein film on the water surface, or at least on the air water interface there. I almost always see this stuff in my tanks, even though I have surface skimming, uh, you know, uh, aquariums with the all-in-ones and so forth. There's still this little proteinaceous film or whatever it is that appears on the water line. And quite frankly, I suck at removing this stuff. And of course, when I apologize for Johnny, to Johnny, you know, when he comes and has to do one more wipe down of the water line before he takes a photo, he always jokes like, hey, well, no one in the aquascaping world ever accused your tanks of being too clean looking, Scott. And of course, I have to laugh when he says that because once again, it's a matter of perception, isn't it? Now, it's typical of the visuals and aesthetics that I've come to expect from botanical-style aquariums. And of course, it's just one of them. There are quite a few, really. I just want to periodically revisit some, and here's a few. You know, biofilms that we all know and love or hate, they'll accumulate on undefended surfaces, you know, leaves, seed pods, bark, etc. We know this from years and years of working with this stuff, right? Particularly when terrestrial materials are submerged in water, they tend to be very attractive attachment points for bacterial growth and the construction of biofilms. The appearance and proliferation of these biofilms is almost always a rite of passage to a typical uh, botanical-style aquarium enthusiast, isn't it? And they admit they look awful to those who are not accustomed to seeing them in their aquariums. I get it. They're sort of contrary to everything we take as normal in aquarium keeping. They look like shit to many hobbyists, but they're absolutely natural and normal. Once you make that mental shift, which sort of understands that biofilms are a key part of the habitat and perform a vital role in the sequestering and the processing of nutrients in nature, providing supplementary food for other organisms, and simply contributing to that formation of food webs, they become desirable, elegant, perhaps maybe even beautiful. Well, maybe. But they're definitely part of a normal botanical-style aquarium. Decomposition of botanicals is yet another absolute given for botanical-style aquariums, isn't it? Pretty much from the minute you add botanicals to the water, they start to physically disintegrate. And the speed and the extent to which each breaks down is influenced by numerous factors, such as the structure of the botanical itself, the water chemistry, the temperature, and other physical influences like water movement, the presence of xylophores or fishes that disturb or graze on the botanicals. Totally normal. It's just something we've come to expect. Maybe the rest of the world who is used to you know, clean, crisp rocks and clean wood in their aquascapes hasn't quite made that mental shift yet, which says, oh, it's okay to have little bits and pieces of things decomposing on the bottom of your aquarium. And that makes sense. And this goes hand in hand with uh, another aspect, another uh, aesthetic expectation. Uh, when it comes to this stuff in the water, it obviously impacts the, the, the water appearance. And there is a difference between color and clarity. The color of the water in a botanical-style aquarium is, as you know, a product of tannins leaching into the water from wood, substrate materials, and botanicals, and it's typically not cloudy, per se. 
It's actually one of the most natural looking water conditions around as water influenced by soils, wood, leaves, etc. is ubiquitous around the world. Other than having that undeniable color to it, there's little that differentiates this water from the so-called crystal clear water, at least to the naked eye. Now, of course, the water may have a lower pH and general hardness, but these have no bearing on the visual clarity of the water. Now, I'm going to riff on this a bit because it's both foundational to our work and it's often misunderstood. And of course, I won't disagree that clear water is nice. I like it too. However, I'd make the case that crystal clear water is A, not always solely indicative of the health or optimum conditions in an aquarium, and B, not always what fishes encounter in nature. The point is, we as fish geeks seem to associate color in water with overall cleanliness or clarity. The reality is, in many cases, that color and clarity of the water can be indicative of some sort of issue in many aquariums, but color seems to draw this immediate, whoa, there's something wrong from the uninitiated. And it's kind of funny, if you talk to ecologists familiar with blackwater habitats, they're often considered some of the most impoverished waters around, at least from a mineral and nutrient standpoint. In the context of the aquarium, of course, the general hobby at large doesn't think about impoverished. Many just see colored water and think dirty. And of course, this is where we need to separate the two factors. Cloudiness and color are generally separate issues for most hobbyists, but they seem to cause concern. Cloudiness in particular may be a tip-off of some other issues going on in the tank. And as we all know, cloudiness can be caused by a few factors, namely, uh, number one, the improperly clean substrate or decorative materials like driftwood, etc. creates a haze of micro-sized dust particles which float around in the water column until they're physically removed. Number two, bacterial blooms, which are typically caused by a heavy bioload in a system not capable of handling it, or a new tank with a filter that's not fully established and has a full complement of livestock. Number three, algal blooms, which can both cloud and color the water, and it's usually caused by excessive nutrients and too much light for a given system. Number four, poor husbandry, which results in heavy decomposition, you know, excessive food breaking down on the bottom, more bacterial blooms and biological waste affecting the water clarity. Now, this is, of course, an urgent matter that needs to be attended to, as there's possible serious consequences to the life in your system. Now, Getting back to our world, remember that just because the water in a botanical-influenced aquarium system is brownish, it doesn't mean that it's of low quality or dirty, as we're inclined to say. It simply means that humic acids and other substances are leaching into the water, you know, creating that characteristic color that some of us geeks find rather attractive. If you're still concerned, monitor the water quality. Perform a nitrate test. Look at phosphate. Look at the overall health of your animals. What's happening in there? You know, you ask yourself that. Now, people, of course, ask me if botanicals can create cloudy water in the aquariums, and I have to give the responsible answer. Yeah, of course they can, especially if you place a large quantity of just about anything that can decompose in the water, the potential for cloudy water caused by fine particulate matter from the materials and ultimately a bloom of bacteria resulting from the, their presence exists. That's Aquarium Keeping 101. Now, in my home aquariums and many of the really great natural-looking blackwater aquariums I see, the water's dark, almost turbid, or even soupy, as one of my you know, fellow blackwater enthusiasts refers to it. You might see the faintest hint of stuff in the water, perhaps a bit of fines from leaves breaking down, or some dislodged biofilms, pieces of leaves, etc. Just like in aquariums. Um, just like in nature, excuse me. Yeah, that would make sense, just like an aquarium. Chemically, though, it has unde most of my tanks have, <laughs> actually all of my tanks, I should correct myself, have undetectable nitrate and phosphate. They're clean by aquarium standards. Sure, by municipal drinking water standards, color and clarity are important and can indicate a number of potential issues. But we're not talking about drinking water here, are we? Yeah, turbidity, right? Sounds like something we want to avoid, right? Sounds dangerous somehow. Well, think about this. On the other hand, turbidity, as it's typically defined, 
you know, leaves open the possibility that it's not a negative thing. And definition that I, I found is the cloudiness or haziness of a fluid caused by large numbers of individual particles that are generally invisible to the naked eye, similar to smoke in the air. So what am I getting at here? Well, think about a body of water like an agapo adjacent to the Rio Negro, like you see so often in the photos on our website. The water is, of course, tinted because of the dissolved tannins and humic substances that are present due to the decaying botanical materials. And it's also a bit turbid because of the fine particulate matter from these materials, too. Yet, I'd argue that these conditions are not unhealthy to fishes, right? They are homes to thriving ecosystems. Okay, we've beaten the living shit out of that, haven't we? Yeah. Let's move on to another aesthetic expectation here. The substrates that we utilize influence both the aquarium's appearance and they also influence its, its chemistry. This is, of course, essentially what happens in nature again. In the, those flooded forests that we always talk about, botanical materials like you know seed pods, roots, branches, leaves, and soil all play a fundamental role in shaping the aquatic ecosystem that arises after the seasonal inundations that come to these areas. And the mix of materials that comprise these really unique habitats has definitely been an inspiration for me to create quite a few different looking aquariums over the years and many of you out there. And there's so much we can learn from studying these systems that we can apply to our hobby work. I mean, to show you how geeky I am about this stuff, I've literally spent hours pouring over pictures and videos and screenshots and interrogating my friends like Ty Streitman about like what they see when they're down there looking into these bodies of water. I have literally looked at photos and counted the number of leaves versus other items in the shots, you know, like seed pods and twigs and stuff to sort of get a leaf to botanical ratio that's common in these systems. And although different areas would obviously vary, based on the many of the pics that I've analyzed with my crudeness, it works out to about 70% leaves to about 30% other botanical items. Interesting, right? Very official sounding, but literally it's like that. Now the trees or their parts literally bring new life to water. And these things that fall into the water, some are present when the water begins rising. Others arrive after the area is flooded, falling off the trees and tumbling down the banks by weather conditions. So terrestrial trees, they also play a role in removing, utilizing, and returning, you know, nutrients to the aquatic habitat. And they definitely influence the substrate. They remove nutrient from submerged soils and they return some of it, you know, in leaf drop. They become part of the active substrate in our aquariums. When you put leaves and twigs and all that stuff into the, into the bottom of an aquarium, it will become a matrix of material that decomposes in fuels, bacterial growth, fungal growth, and all these other interesting you know, interactions that happen in nature as well. Now, I think one of the most liberating things we've seen in a blackwater or botanical style aquarium is the practice of utilizing the substrate itself to become a feature aesthetic point in our aquariums, as well as a functional mechanism for the habitats. It's really, really interesting to me. In other words, in a strictly aesthetic sense, the bottom itself becomes a big part of the aesthetic focus of the aquarium with botanicals placed on the substrate or in some places or in some instances becoming part of the substrate or becoming the substrate, excuse me. These materials actually form a very attractive and sort of texturally varied microscape of their own. And that creates, you know, color and interest and functions that we're just probably now starting to appreciate in the aquarium context. In fact, I dare say that one of the next frontiers of our niche would be an aquarium which is just substrate materials without any vertical relief provided by wood or rocks or other conventional hardscape material. I've done this before with just leaves and it's pretty fascinating and I encourage you to play with that. In fact, I've executed this a few times and I've been really happy with their long-term performance. And yeah, they look really cool too. 
Now, nature provides no shortage of habitats with unusual substrate compositions for us to you know, be inspired from. And if we look at them in the context of the surrounding terrestrial ecosystems, there's a lot of possible functional takeaways that we as hobbyists can apply to our aquarium work. And the interesting thing about these features from an aesthetic standpoint is that they create this incredibly alluring look with a minimum of design required on the hobbyist part. Remember, you could put together a substrate with a perfect aesthetic mix of colors and textures, but that's about it. We have to seed some of the work to nature at that point. Now, we've talked about the idea of not only creating more functionally aesthetic substrates, but the idea of incorporating botanicals into them as well. And one of my favorite little edits or tricks is to include a significant amount of leaf litter into the substrate, as you'd find in the sedimented, leaf-litter-rich, and salt-laden habitats in tropical environments. Not everybody's cup of tea, but it's very interesting. Now, how would you replicate this in form and function in the aquarium? Well, I do it with small leaves like Texas Live Oak Leaf Litter or with the Mixed Leaf Media product, which is essentially crushed up um, varieties of leaves blended together. And um, when you steep or boil this stuff, it goes right to the bottom and it's easily mixed into substrate materials like sands and sediments, whatever you're using in your system. And the result when it's all mixed in is a composition which looks and functions much like a real tropical stream or flooded forest floor substrate. The idea is that not only you create this interesting appearing substrate, you'll end up with one which can impart tannins and humic substances while serving as biological support for the production of biofilms and fungal growth, i.e. part of the food web. It's functionally aesthetic. Yeah, it all goes back to sort of our original mission here at Tan and Aquatics. It was to share, you know, my passion for the reality of unedited nature and all of its murky brown algae patina enhanced glory. And I started to realize that a while back, we were starting to fall dangerously into that noisy, in my opinion, absurd, almost mainstream of the aquascaping world, you know, just supplying rocks and leaves and stuff. Now, that's all good, but I think it's all about context. And, you know, I was the, you know, the new kid uh, on the block pressing my dirty face against the, the glass. You know, I was kind of an outsider looking into the, the you know, the, the, the high-end aquascaping world and, you know, wanted to play with everybody. And then I realized that we never really wanted to play like that. It's not who we are. And we're not going to play there. Um, I often wanted to be a leader in this type of uh, arena that we play in because somebody needs to take the mantle and run with it. It's an entirely unexplored world or scantily explored world. And we have a responsibility to work with everybody and share what we're learning. And I love that. So we're going to double down on our tinted, dirty, you know, turbid, decomposing, inspired by nature world. Now, sure, our materials can and should be used by all sorts of hobbyists for all sorts of applications. However, if you're worried about your favorite little quirky supplier of twigs and nuts and stuff becoming another player in the world of homogenized prepackaged stuff, no, 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 not going to happen. I'm all about the preservation of the patina, the biofilms, the detritus, decomposing leaves, letting nature do her thing and not sanitizing it. So it's of utmost importance that we periodically publish some position pieces about the expectations, the processes, the practices, and the ideas. And that's also vital for us as a community to share our experiences, our ideas, and our inspirations. And I just want to thank all of you for being a part of this exciting and ever-evolving world. It seems like every day there's something new we're learning and some new amazing execution that somebody's doing. And there's some failures, there's successes, and overall... It's, a, it's moving the hobby forward, and I want to thank everybody for the courage to do that and to take a little bit of a different twist on things and to accept a different look, a different function. Stay creative, stay engaged, stay excited, stay studious, and always, always, always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you next time on the next installment of The Tint.